Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Alex Phillips. He's a writer, director, and producer whose debut feature film, All Jacked Up and Full of Worms, is currently available on VOD. Welcome to the show! Hi! Thanks for having me. Yay! Thanks for joining us. Uh, boy, I can't wait to talk to you about worms and... and hallucinations but uh before we do get to that let's take it back to the beginning how did you get introduced to horror um i kind of had to like uh sneak horror movies growing up my 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 family wasn't really into them my my mom was like really really against horror movies but we had like a family computer and i had yeah, what was this back in the time of like Kazaa? Oh my god! Um, and and <laughs> so so yeah, I like got up some stuff. I, I remember like staying up really late watching like Rosemary's Baby with like oh, wow. my friend across the street. We like drank a bunch of Mountain Dew and <laughs> watched it in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, it was like our we were like we're so badass. <laughs> we're we're drinking Mountain Dew all night and watching Rosemary's <laughs> Baby <laughs> illegally yeah, yeah. downloaded. And then we just had like a really yeah. Totally. Yeah, 
and a really really like cerebral experience you know because <laughs> it's like not like um you know it's not like an in your face horror movie it's kind of like uh it's like about relationships and stuff it's, yeah <laughs> you're not watching friday the 13th <laughs> No, no. Yeah, we're like, we hear this is the scariest movie ever. Um, <laughs> did it scare you? It did. It freaked Yeah, yeah. Honestly, yeah. I think it kind of like got into uh, my head a little bit. So it definitely worked. I'm, was that your first horror movie? It's hard to, it's hard to know. Okay. I think they might be like that or like, you know, like Hocus Pocus or like Sabrina or something mm-hmm. like okay. that, you know. Yeah. Like, or like, you know, kid kids horror stuff. Gateway yeah. horror, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then, cool. oh, sorry. Oh, I was just, I just wanted to say that um, I really liked, um, like, the, the horror, like, franchise that I really got into was, like, um, like, uh, sorry, let me start that over, sorry. The, the, the horror, I, I, I was, like, really into the Final Destination things, because they were coming out, like, while I was going to stuff, like, in high school, so that was, like, the theater experience of horror oh hell yeah what a fun that's gonna be really fun though the fun theater experience for horror Uh, yeah it was awesome yeah yeah it was like always a party what a what a great like i I always forget because like franchises were so big in the 80s when i was when i was growing up and then i don't know we didn't seem to really have them for a little bit of time and then i guess they got kind of uh started back up again with scream and to a lesser extent, I know what she did last summer, but like Final Destinations, right. the that one, and then like Saw are like the the two big sort of like multi movie uh, franchises that started to like come back up, which was kind of kind of nice. Seriously, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, or like the the Purge, I really like uh, too. Oh. Really, you know, like they're really fun as like a concept. I really like them. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So like when you were younger, what you know you talked about in high school, those are the kinds of franchises. But when you were a little bit younger, like what, did you did you gravitate towards horror? Were you or were you easily scared? I don't know. I think I was easily freaked out by like uncomfortable situations, okay. and that's the kind of like horror for me where it's like, oh, like this is a some this is a bad like I, i'm seeing people like do stuff that is bad or wrong mm. you know or it was like or if it was like like hallucinatory or like you know like the what is it the snuffleupagus what's the like winnie oh, the, the pooh dream world the heffalumps yes the heffalump yeah yeah like that sort of thing like i remember like sort of tripping out really like just you know as a kid just being like this is so freaky <laughs> you know I remember thinking Stuff about like that. that with with Dumbo, <laughs> uh, Pink Elephant Song, Parade. Oh, yes. yeah. I can remember thinking, what is even happening right there as a kid? Like terrifying. Well, and we've talked about so many movies like this on the show that are like kids' movies, but they're absolutely nightmarish. Like we talked about Alice in Wonderland, the Disney animated one, that is just like obviously a fucking nightmare to watch. Like it's a kids' movie, but it is kind of terrifying. Mm. So yeah, I think it's cool. Like that those like older children's movies i mean i definitely was traumatized by them but like i think it's kind of interesting that that it was like sort of free-flowing what kind of like stuff goes in there yes mm-hmm. very different from what we see now an animation not a bad thing necessarily but it is very wild about the things they do like have you seen the great mouse detective alex yeah, yeah. do you remember the part yes. with the sexy dancing mouse with the garter belt and the boobs doing the burlesque dance i'm sorry to, cha- <laughs> oh like, to like change the subject but i just thought about that no no <laughs> do you remember her it's so funny I I barely do. Yeah. I remember like a clock tower fight. Yes, yeah. that's or something. true. But this one had the sexy mouse with tits. <laughs> yep. I blocked it out. It was too much. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but as a male, what's scarier than a anthropomorphic cartoon mouse with boobs? Nothing. Um, Doing the can can. Anyway. Yeah. But Alex, so you said that you got freaked out by certain things as a kid. Do you still get easily freaked out or freaked out at all today by similar things or different things when you watch horror movies? Well, so like jump scares always get me without Hell yeah. like I no matter how smart I think I am. It's just like something flying at my face. I'm like, yep. no. <laughs> you know, I'm so jumpy. Visceral I'm incredibly jumpy. I don't care how many Conjuring movies I've seen in a movie theater. I'll still, I'm like, I know it's coming, but I'm just, I'm a jumpy person. What can you do? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I wish I could, I wish I was, you know, steely or something. Um, nerves of steel. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. Now it's, it's definitely like, you know, like, uh, what is it? The Handmaiden or like Stoker or, okay. um, you know, like it's d- definitely the Korean, Korean films definitely seem to get me, um, mm. where it's like, there's transgression and then also like a psychological, you know, like we're not sure which way is up. Yeah. Thing. We don't know what reality even really is, which that's, that's the kind of thing that freaks me out. I love that about Korean uh, horror in particular is that it switches genre on like the drop of a hat. Right. So it like, you don't know what the next scene is going to be. Is it going to be a comedy? Are we going to get some humor? Is it going to be the most fucked up thing we've ever seen? Like, or is it gonna be sexy? What's going to happen next? Like, it just, I don't know. That's, that's what always gets me about Korean, Korean cinema. Oh, yeah. Have you seen thirst? Have either of you seen thirst? No, I need to. Oh, no. it's the sexiest horror movie ever. It's vampires. Um, and it's, um, it's the, the parasite, the the actor who plays the father in Parasite plays a priest turns into a vampire, and it's really fucking good. Wow. It's a Park Chan book. So yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, I've I've heard that. It's been on my list for a while. I need to just sit down and and, and watch it. But do you do you remember uh, like the last movie that kind of traumatized you or scared you or brought you back to that feeling of being a kid? Oh being Oh, um, that's like a really specific kind of thing, like a nostalgic, but then also like uh, uncovering like an old trauma thing. <laughs> or just to like terrified you. Yeah. Well, so like Raw, really, mm. that got me. Oh, cool. That movie is really cool. And it's like, um, it's so absurd, like uh, her like take on like what an American high school or college is like too it's like sort of uncanny it feels right but it's also like totally bonkers yeah. um yeah but that movie really that that worked where it's like the there's like body horror connected with like eroticism mm. and like, you know murder also somehow <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> that's awesome so uh talking about like body horror and weird vibes um let's talk about your movie all jacked up and full of worms <laughs> can you tell our listeners oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> can you tell our listeners a little bit about what it is yeah well so like the the quick and easy way to describe it is that these like two guys one of them is named roscoe and this other guy named benny boom um like meet up through happenstance and like get hooked on eating earthworms and having like hallucinatory experiences and that sort of lead them down a path of of destruction and mayhem and like sort of like take them into um like a sort of subliminal oozy bad place so how did you how did you come up with this idea like what 
what made you go to go to worms as being like a hallucinatory <laughs> type substance? Well, so I wanted, like we were saying, like the the body horror connected with like eroticism, and you know, it, worms to me seemed like a easy way to reference like internal organs and also like life and death. I don't know. Like, I don't want to get too metaphorical with it, but it was supposed to be a sort of like a, you know, like they, I, they are like a parasite, but they also, uh, you know, like they could feel like they could like live inside of our stomach and in, inside of our bellies. And um, so that was kind of where it, it came from. And I, I thought that it would like ground a lot of the writing that I had and, um, and, and bring it, tie us into like, um, genre into horror too because what's what's grosser than just you know eating a pile of worms and then i also i wanted to talk about like substances like affecting us and like uh making us do things that we wouldn't normally do but i didn't want to like specifically point directly to like a a drug or something because also i wanted to like make it open to conversations about mental illness that aren't necessarily um, because of like a drug addiction, but because of just like the ooze that bubbles up mm. the worms that bubble up in our, in our bodies and heads. The worms that bubble up. <laughs> I have a very uh, gross reaction to worms um, <laughs> because like, I, I don't, I don't know if this is like, if this is very specific to just me or what, or whatnot, but like, you know, a lot of times people love the smell of rain but whenever I go yeah. outside when it's raining, all I can smell is like I can I consider it like a worm smell because like worms will come out of the ground at that <laughs> worm point. Smell. And then they're just like all over the concrete or something like that. And there's a s- specific kind of smell that when I see that that I, I just I just associate with worms. I don't know if it's worms or not, but that's what I think of every time I so like every time the people are eating worms, I'm like, that must smell absolutely atrocious <laughs> because that's all I can think of is just on a rainy day when the worms are out and all I can smell is that weird wormy earthy smell and it just grosses that's me cool out. i really i really wish i had known that that's that's like beautiful i think you know like all the worm smell is out you know if we it's, could get like a rain rig i want <laughs> just, time, I want sequel. now i want a candle but it's like instead of like rainy day it's just worm smell oh, and it's no. <laughs> worm no, smell. like i just get like this and when i was watching this movie i just like kept getting this visceral like like sense memory of of just walking out and raining, seeing worms on the concrete, it's, and just being so fucking grossed you. out. Um, the guy uh, Trevor Dawkins, who played Benny Boom, he he had the same reaction to worms. Like he's afraid okay. of them. So oh, like in no. the scene where he's in the motel, and like Henrietta, who played by like Eva, played by Eva Fellows, she opens up the the like cigarette case with worms, and his like reaction is real. Like he's just like, oh no 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 no, yeah. I would yeah, have just like deal with them. I just I felt like I would have sm- I could have smelled it the moment that can open. I was like, no, I could never do worms. Yeah, but so uh, to me, I think they're kind of cute. They, I mean, they yeah, are. Yeah, That's the thing. There's someone I went to college with who couldn't go outside after it rained because she's so scared of worms. Like she hates that. Like it was like the weirdest thing, and she couldn't explain why she was so scared. I think she stepped on one once with her bare feet, and it just like fucked her up so bad she could no longer go. Like it was the wildest fear I've ever seen around worms. Because I think they're cute, and I used to collect I worms. Think, I had a yeah. little bucket that was like a worm farm, what? and I had the, I named them all. What? And like I was like, this is the mom and the dad, and we play. I played house with the worms. 
That's never cool. said I was a. I never <laughs> said I was a cool kid. <laughs> but I had a family. Of, I don't know. I had a bucket of worms as a kid. <laughs> they were all worms. family. Bucket of worms. <laughs> oh my god! All I can think of is the smell. <laughs> that's the, that literally. That's all I can I think, think of. I, I was afraid of them being living in my body. Me I think too. I, I, yeah, yeah. I like. I ate sand like as a little kid um, to impress this girl that lived behind <laughs> my house. Did it work? And uh, she laughed. <laughs> I don't know. She was like five years older than me. I don't know. I was, she was like, she was like in, she was like in first grade, and I was like in preschool or something. I don't know. I was just like, put a handful of sand, and then my mom yelled at me and was like, "You're gonna get worms. You're gonna grow worms inside of you." Oh my god. So I think then, then just that idea uh-huh. just like stuck with me. I think it, it, it's it's one of my like it, I can't I don't I don't do well with like parasitic body horror because like I'm always like what if there is a worm inside of me wait what have you ever watched is? the show yeah. monsters inside me did you ever watch that on animal planet Mm-mm. oh my god no, I that worked sounds on like that my show. personal nightmare I worked on that show it was incredible it's all about people who have like either foreign bodies or like worms inside of them that it I makes can't. them really sick that oh. makes me really gross grossed out like it just <laughs> it gives so me cool no I, for some reason, I think it's so great. fascinating. Anyway, well, so okay, going back to the film. So, are are y'all mm-hmm. snorting? Are they snorting actual worms and like eating actual worms? Like, are these actually actual little fellows themselves going inside the human body? Um, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I I've been going with yes. Every time anyone asks me that question, I have a hard line. Yes, every single worm that you see in there was eaten. Everyone ate a real worm. There was no cutaway to a different kind. So, but yeah, no, everyone's handling uh, real worms. And like um, some people do actually put them in their mouths and, and in their noses and stuff. And then other people are having the, it depend, depending on the actor's level, level of comfort. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. So what was it like casting this movie and kind of sharing the script and sharing kind of the plot and where the story was going with your actors? Because I mean, Everyone's performances are incredible, and mm. they're really going for it and throwing themselves into the material. So you obviously found a really incredible cast. So what was that like, getting people on board for the project? Well, so every, most of the people in the movie, um, save for like Philip, Andre Batello, who plays Roscoe, and Betsy Brown, who plays Samantha, were local to Chicago mm. okay. and had either been in like a short of mine or a friend's short, or I'd been on set with them, or I... I saw them in like theater, like uh, Trevor Dawkins is in, or he, he was like a long time company member of the Neo Futurists mm-hmm. and they, they're like a block away from me. So, uh, and I love their work and um, like uh, Mike Lopez, he's been in a bunch of like uh, indie films in Chicago, mostly the work of a uh, Jersey Rose. Um, cool. So just like, yeah, a lot of people I knew. And then and Eva, she was in um, my shorts. She was a good boy in Pushing Mongo. And so, yeah, it was it was kind of like we did this whole long ca- casting process. Um, and then basically just I ended up casting my friends to be in the movie. And they were the people who were the most down for everything <laughs> that we were doing. You know, and it's like a no-budget film. So right. it's like, you know, like it's not um, – I don't know. The communication had to be there in order to make yeah make this sort of thing happen. You know how how long was the shoot for this? Well, so we started in March 2020, <laughs> and then COVID. You remember that thing? Yeah, that. <laughs> um, so that yeah. So then um, yeah, and that was 
uh, kind of fucked up. So the shoot was supposed to be like three weeks and then it turned into like a three year thing. Jeez. Uh-huh. So okay. yeah. Yeah. So, so just like on the weekends or like shooting uh, like uh, for a few days and then taking two weeks off um, throughout 2020 and early 2021 to, to get everything. Good Lord. Yeah. And I, I rewrote a bunch of stuff too. Cause it was, so it was bef- we were shooting like before the vaccine like came mm-hmm. out because we didn't know that there was going to be one um, or like what that was going to even be like. So that was why the two week breaks in between shooting just like a couple days, yeah. you know, because um, that's what they were saying you needed to do um, to know if you had it or not. And then, um, yeah, and then I also, yeah, I rewrote it because and that was when Benny, boom his character grew oh, um, okay. and the baby came in. Oh, so um, the baby was like a was written in after you had started shooting. Yeah. That was like after the mo- the whole movie had been pulled over. Uh-huh. Then in the darkness of COVID times, I wrote this baby storyline and uh, yeah. And then uh, Trevor who like was totally down, he like read the script and he's like, okay, so let's talk about this. So he and I, when, throughout like in, in the pandemic with like or in lockdown i guess i should say um we took a lot of like walks um in this graveyard that's really close to our houses that was like our it wasn't even meant to be spooky but that was like where it was easy to, to like talk outside um to figure out like because he wanted to know he like wanted to make sure that you know that what the intention behind putting something so fucked up in uh, my movie like what the what why we're doing this and like are we here to traumatize people or are we here to like talk about something bigger or is it somewhere in between and so that was you know and that 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 conversation like was extremely important to the to the the whole thing and i think that's what led to his performance i i really like his performance obviously but you know like i think that he's like a very charismatic guy trevor and I, he brings that to the benny boom character and like makes it so we have to like empathize with this person who has like a very grotesque like physical manifestation of his like fucked up desires mm. and like also like um like just a confusion or like delusion about the world and like how you can like achieve happiness or how you can like find meaning, you know, like he wants to have a kid so bad. He wants to have like a a normal family. Um, But he's also like too weird to do it. You know, I I think we all can sort of relate to that on some level. We just don't all have like a, you know, a baby fuck doll, you know? Yeah. So, (laughs) and that's, and the point and the whole point was to like have a baby fucked all there to be like to push to push that question to be like this this thing that we all society pushes us towards like the the nuclear family um you know like but we also are um all messed up you know so i don't know that's why the fucked all there where where did you get that doll? Because I'll be honest, that doll haunt. Every time that doll was on screen, I was had this look of absolute horror on my face. Where did you get that doll? Um, Amazon.com. No, um, no, that was a joke. <laughs> I was like, no, oh, no. fuck um, me. No, no. So Ben, ben Goger, who did the effects on the film, he 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 made the doll's head, and we went and found doll bodies. Okay. to put the head on. That's so, yeah, so that fucked came up. Out of his, his, yeah, right. It's really, 
really gnarly. And so I, I think I think also the head came from like a push and pull too, where like, you know, like everybody when I wrote this thing was like, okay, whoa. So I think, and I, you know, Ben went through a similar process of like, of like what, like fitting this, this baby doll into his brain and coming out with this horrible, uncanny thing. Wow. Wild. <laughs> Never thought I'd watch a movie about a fuck doll and then also kind of empathize, empathize with the guy who wants to fuck the fuck doll. But hey, it's 2022. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, well, before we start talking about uh, the movie you chose today, Alex, we're going to take a quick break. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. And now we're back. Um, okay, Alex. So what film have you brought with you today as your Scarred for Life pick? Um, I have brought um, A Clockwork Orange. A Clockwork Orange. Oh, boy. So um, here's a brief synopsis from IMDb. In the future, a sadistic gang leader is imprisoned and volunteers for a conduct diversion experiment, but it doesn't go as planned. Yeah. So <laughs> I... When when you brought when 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 you brought this movie to us, I was like, "Oh shit! Okay, we got to talk about this one because I can't imagine seeing this as a kid." So take us back. How old were you? How did you see this? Why did you see this? Give us give us your horror story. Why is this your scar for life pick? So like, I wasn't allowed to watch horror movies, okay. but I was allowed to watch stuff that was like culturally important you know yes so this would maybe be on the like 100 list of you know sight and sound you know stanley kubrick right a cultural icon so i was like 11 or 12 or something like it was on our like sony trinitron crt tv thing i was maybe way too far back (laughs) from it uh, you know (laughs) and i don't know yeah my my parents put it on like I, w- I would, you know, like my I guess my horror before that was like Psycho or Vertigo or something like that, you know, and then this came on and it was like, first off, it's like really cool. Like, it's like really poppy. There's the credits are like, you know, like already you're in it, like with with all this stuff going on. And also the main character's name is Alex. Mm-hmm. And when you're like 11, you don't really have like that sort of sense of distance so all of a sudden I'm like, what is this? A movie about me? You know, I'm like, so I'm like, I'm like in it way too much. I'm having a blast, but I'm also like, this is like horrible. Like they're like immediately they're off to the races, like beating people and like assaulting them. And it's just like crazy. I remember 
whenever uh like something really messed up would show up my mom would always be like steven like there would be like a like a, a sound like a tone for like when you know and then they would have like a sort of internal they would have like a dialogue behind me like about whether they were going to keep it, keep the movie rolling or not. And this one made it through. Wow. Um, That's wild that this movie made it. (laughs) This movie made it through. I don't know why. This movie's a lot. I don't know why. Yeah. Two and a half hours of rape and murder. (laughs) Yes. Right. It's long. (laughs) Yeah. I think, you know, I, I really think that it's really interesting. The like Kubrick put in the like, or I guess actually it was from the book. Like the the Beethoven is the thing that that um, redeems the character. Like in the plot, like he's because he likes Beethoven's Fifth. That's right. So he, because he likes that, he no longer has to. You know, like it got caught up in the in the conversion therapy or whatever, mm-hmm. and they had they 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 undo it, and it's like because. Beethoven is like culturally significant, like the government and everyone like decided like that they made a mistake or something like they Mm -hmm. crossed the line. And I think that's kind of like maybe how this worked too, you know, like this movie, like Stanley Kubrick, like this is one of the greatest directors ever, you know, uh, according to the list. So like he, you know, so I get, (laughs) I get to watch this totally, totally fucked up movie um, as a child. (laughs) So, like, what's was there a particular moment that like really freaked you out or stood out to you that really kind of got into your head and lingered with you after the movie was over? Yeah. Well, there's like it's like there's several. Yeah. <laughs> it's a full movie full the, of them. <laughs> yeah, it's totally nuts. I think also like the the like ultimate crime that Alex commits, where he like takes the like penis sculpture and like hits the woman in the head mm-hmm. with it. That really, really messed me up. And, and like, I was like, so, I don't know. I was just like, honestly, like my gut, like I could, you know, like, it, my, I don't know. My heart fell in my stomach. Yeah. There was that. And then like, it wasn't the like conversion therapy stuff, but it was like the test where they like have like a performance of, of people like abuse him to show that he was now like powerless. That really messed with me. Yeah. I also thought it was weird. Cause he's like, he is also, it's kind of similar to how we were talking about like Benny Boom, where you have a morally, compl- even actually less than Benny Boom. He's like morally complicated, but he still is like the protagonist. And you're mm-hmm. still like, you know, kind of like we want him to win, even though he's doing a bunch of terrible things. Yeah. Which is, really, you know, it's like really challenging because it's like, you know, these things are bad. And then also like, it's a little bit like, like rock and roll or something like like influenced by like the rolling stones or something you know yeah, yeah. Well, and it's like but it's like also the fact that he doesn't have any regrets i feel like we see so so many times you watch a movie and the protagonist mm. is like morally split over what they're doing and it's like i'm just doing it because mm. i because i need to survive or like i'm doing this for a reason and here it's just like no i'm just a bad fucking person yeah. and it's like Sometimes I just want a bad fucking person. I don't sometimes like not have someone like that. Uh-huh. But some, like it is kind of interesting, I think. And again, because he's a teenager. Right. So it's a little, I, at least in the book, he's 15, I think. And I don't know how, did I say how old he is in the movie? I cannot fucking remember. Yeah, I didn't know. For some reason. But it is, there's something that is really interesting about having a movie centered on a character who is like selfish and really terrible. And like, I think it is something that there's really something interesting there. Yeah. 
definitely different from the status quo we're used to seeing with characters. I mean, like, I loved Alex DeLarge. Like, I was Alex DeLarge my freshman year of college for Halloween. I did a a burlesque routine where I was Alex DeLarge and I killed somebody. That sounds great. Like, I did, like, a full, like, burlesque Alex DeLarge clockwork orange outfit and, like, stripped to a St. Vincent song (laughs) and had a golf club and was killing people. Wow. Yeah, like, clockwork orange was my personality in my early, like, late teens, like, in my, like, early 20s, late teens. I thought I was so edgy and cool for, like, being a clockwork (laughs) orange. Okay, so this is more your movie. (laughs) And it's so, well, and it's so weird thinking about it, because, like, it's so fucked up, but there was so, like, I read the, I thought I was so cool in high school, I, like, I got at the library and read it in high school, like, at the pool, and I was like, I'm the cool girl reading the book by the, like, I just thought I was so cool. And don't think, like, I understood what I was reading, but I don't think I kind of, I thought... I was that kind of phase in my life where I thought I liked shocking stuff. Like, this is when I I read and loved American Psycho. Like, I wanted to watch all of, like, the weird, fucked up shit and not really think about, like, the implications, but more just, like, I was really invested in the spectacle of violence, which sounds weird Mm -hmm. to say, but, like, I was so fascinated by that as a teenager and, like, how it was created. And I read the book first, actually, um, which was a god damn experience because you have to learn a whole new language reading this book and it's really cool though how your brain slips into it really easily and it's like you're in a trance a little bit reading it like it's really really cool it's really interesting and it's a language that Burgess the author made up and um because he's a linguist and so he made up the whole language that's why it's so good um and it's based yeah and it's based mostly on I think like Russian and also Cockney rhyming slang Mm mm-hmm it's like super weird. Like, I'm like obsessed. Sorry, I'm like nerding out because no, I'm great. obsessed with. I was obsessed with it. But um, like I was reading that, and when I watched the movie, I was actually even more shocked because I think when you're reading it in that language, I think it's really easy to have a little bit more distance mm. from from the violence yeah. and kind of the acts. But then, even though they're speaking that same language, you have the images and you see them doing like all of the murder and all of the rape and all of like the crime. So it's so different. It was so different the experience of reading it and not thinking it was like as bad Mm -hmm. and then seeing it and being like oh oh no and i was also seeing it in high school like i was pretty young too and i still fucking loved it i still i still do really like it but i definitely have more of a critical lens on it than i did when i was like well i think i think the movie (laughs) i mean you can please please disagree with me but i i think that the the movie is like saying like a broad like a is giving us like a distance from him, you know, where like we can still be critical of the stuff that he's doing and like, but also see how like the repercussions that he gets, like the punishment that he gets also is like wrong and is more violence, you know, like yeah. once he immediately, he licks that boot in the, like the like demonstration thing, like on that stage. And then he mm-hmm. like, gets out and his family has like disowned him and he gets beat up by the police yep. who are now who are like his droogs you know and like even even the like leftist guy the like sort of like champagne leftist guy like in the fancy house like you know in the wheelchair mm-hmm. oh yeah you know like even that feels like supremely cruel even though we've just witnessed him do all the worst stuff that you we can i can imagine that like you know like you know, murdering and raping and like with no remorse, like you said, and like would do it again if given, given any opportunity, but like 
somehow like we see all that and then we see him like get like uh you know converted or whatever you want to call it uh, the therapy and then the punishment also is a crime too and i think that's the like equally barbaric yeah yeah i think that's maybe the like moral or like political takeaway that i think maybe is in there you know as opposed to like leaving the movie feeling like empowered to do bad stuff which is like also like a really gr- like a complicated moral takeaway, I guess. Yeah. So I, there's a lot, there's a couple things that just popped in my head as you were talking. And the first one I want to talk, cause you said that you think that the movie kind of um, gives us like a space to kind of watch what's happening and, and know that it's bad, but also kind of relate. And what I, I guess what I realized watching this as an adult, cause I haven't seen this and I'll talk about my first time seeing this movie, but um, I haven't seen this since the very first time I watched this movie. This is only the second time I've ever seen this movie, but I'm looking at it now as an adult and I'm thinking this whole thing feels like theater. The way that mm-hmm. uh, Malcolm McDonald plays Alex is very like he's almost it almost looks like he's ready to break. There's a couple scenes where he's like supposed to be really serious and you can almost see like the the smile kind of cracking on his face. So it kind of gives me this this like lens of of over the top, a little over the top, a little overwrought um theater craft and it it kind of plays with what's happening and I think it gives us a little bit of space to kind of watch it as if we were watching theater as opposed to seeing these horrible things play out if that makes sense totally yeah well and especially because they have like the set design like in the milk bar and you have this like very stylistic way that doesn't like i know this is supposed to be the near future but in the movie you have this like very specific like 70s kind of pop arty Mm -hmm. aesthetic that makes it feel like out of time and space a little bit like especially in like and there's some places where that's not necessarily true but like in some of these spaces it feels so theatrical it feels so and then but also like the way he speaks like that alex speaks i feel like is it always feels like he's reciting some grand shakespearean monologue which Mm -hmm. like makes him kind of annoying in a way that i'm (laughs) i'm interested in that i'm just like he is slightly endearing that's like endearing and he's so full of himself and like he's obviously a teenage boy who's like i like Mm -hmm. beethoven and i like to kill people like aren't i a badass (laughs) and it's just like i mean i can see why you think that i guess like it's got like that kind of punk ethos a little bit but taken to an extreme which i think is so interesting especially in like the costumes that they wear like their uniform mm. that they choose to wear which is all white which i think is super fascinating yeah. like the cod piece i just think it's so <laughs> interesting how they designed like and their hats and the all white and the eye and the eye eyeliner slash like the, the eyelashes i think it's just it's so, so exaggerated it's so exaggerated it's so cool yeah so formally like exact you know like all the camera moves yeah. all this yeah, but also it's even the, the like opening like um, like attack or whatever where the or no where the, those the two rival like Droog gangs are like fighting each other feels yeah. like so chaotic too. It's really like just the level of of craft in like you know being symmetrical in one thing and then and then totally like improvisational feeling in the next is totally I don't know. Amazing. Well, that scene in, in particular, also, I was thinking is kind of what started make, making me think about this as like a piece of theater that we're wa- watching unfold because it's so the actions that they're doing are so like mm-hmm. almost silly in some way, like the backflips, the all of a sudden they're jump falling mm-hmm. through glass windows or they're breaking chairs against each other. Like it's just 
it takes like this fight that seems like it should be very serious because it opens up with the the other droogs attempting to rape a woman and then Alex and his droogs showing up and then fighting. And so it's like this very serious moment that all of a sudden turns into like mm-hmm. almost like a, a a weird kind of martial arts movie in a way. Like it's just all of a sudden is completely different than the the setup that we got. And so it just and it kept getting me like what is happening yeah. here as I was watching this? Because I was like, this is really upsetting. And then it's like, this is really silly. Yeah, I think that's the important thing, like the silliness or like the absurdity of it, you know, like that's like a, I think that's the thing that is like the intellectual distance that I get is like, you know, you mm-hmm. know, or like, uh, I keep going back to the, the, the stage performance when the like naked woman comes out and she yeah. like is like luring him towards her. Uh-huh. And then at the end they're like, okay, and scene. And then she like ba- like does like a curtsy, she, like twelve. Yes, bow. all this like theatrical like <laughs> ballerina dance, like just like curtsying and full body like bows and just sort of like, thank you, thank you, I'm on my way out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like I think that that is all you know, that's all intentional, all that level of of absurdity. Well, it gives us, you know, I think the distance from just being emotionally one to one with the protagonist well and i was also thinking sort of the when he though because there's there's sequences that are so like a little uh, are very long like when he when he's being in, in, uh inducted into the the prison and we go through the whole system of like he has to put his feet behind this this white line and not touch the desk and not do all of this and they're going through all of that it's very much yes sir and everyone's shouting at each other and it's just it's very uh I don't know, over the top in a way that is like really comical, considering that this is a man who is basically being dehumanized at this point, being forced to take all of his clothes off, having his, you know, looking inside his butt to make sure he's not hiding. Like it's all dehumanizing visually, but then it's very silly in the Mm -hmm. context of what's happening. And it's, it's that push pull that I think is so fascinating about a lot of the sequences in this film. For sure. Terry, I want to hear about your first time watching this, but before I lose my thought, it was something I thought about when we were kind of, you know, talking about Alex's character as evil and how um, it's almost like a rape revenge story at the end from a different perspective and that he is getting, he is the one that's getting all of like the revenge enacted against him for all of the bad things he did, which perhaps isn't the point, but I have like, I always, I, I'm a big like rape revenge movie fan. And I think it's a very interesting perspective of having him and the the rapist himself being centered in it and him having to face multiple consequences Mm -hmm. for his actions in different forms throughout. And I think it's a very kind of, a kind of a subplot in looking at maybe like looking at that idea of, of violence and revenge and how like, you know, it's a fucking self-perpetuating cycle and it's really vicious and hard to get out of no matter how much your government wants to train it out of you. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking that this, and I hadn't realized this when I was watching it as, as a kid, but um, the, the way that the movie is almost a mirror of itself because mm. like after he becomes, uh, you know, therapize then we we see him meet the 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 homeless person that he beat up in the beginning and then we you know we see him going to the house that of the person that he murdered or he tried to to murder and and rape the woman and so it's like it's almost like a reverse story that is happening that sort of kind of comes in on itself at by the very end where it's like we're leading up to it and then we're seeing those events play back but now he's the victim as opposed to being the perpetrator it's mm-hmm. it's such a fascinating structure that i never i never realized when i was a kid yeah and then it's really cool because like 
or depending on how you look at it, but it, to me, it's interesting that you see him face the consequences for everything. And then when at the very end, like you can tell he hasn't like learned a goddamn thing. Like he hasn't changed, yep. you know, and he's, he has, he's gone through every punishment that you could ever <laughs> receive, you know? And he's also mm-hmm. like existential and physical everything. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's, and then he's like, Oh great. Thanks for undoing that horrible thing. Like now, I'm now back. I can, <laughs> yeah, I'm back. We're back. But also like the, inher- like the idea of, tr- of thinking that like violence is not like an inherently human thing, like not to, to get a little deep, like violence, you know, it, it you want to train it out of us, but I feel like, you know, we've evolved to still have those impulses as animals, like as animals. And so it's like the consequences of trying to control these impulses that we all have and aren't meant to be controlled. And it's a very, also an interesting look at what it looks like when those impulses are given so much space to roam versus being restricted and not like these two very big extremes of how people react violently and how they utilize violence rather. So I think that's also really an interesting part of this movie that I hadn't really thought about before about the kind of extreme perspectives on violence here and how they are taken to ridiculous extremes and what that looks like in terms of control of that and how that's impossible to do yeah and like where they're acceptable like his his friends become like the police and they then they can beat mm-hmm. him up Mm-hmm. But also, I get that. I mean, like speaking of cops, like violence is just as prevalent in these law enforcement, like in the law enforcement mm-hmm. officers, and we all know that this is very relevant today. How like cops are just as capable of violence against others as they're not, you know, going to be the protectors that you think they are. And I think you know this movie speaks to that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And what? So we're talking about the the ending of the movie, which. Um, so when, when, when the book came over from the UK to America, mm-hmm. the, um, American editor left out the final chapter originally. And then the final chapter, Alex on his own, after everything decides that he doesn't find the violence very exciting. And oh. so ends up forming his own family and gives up crime and basically reforms himself on his own. And the American editor did not like that because he said it felt fake to the story. Whoa. And he felt that, that, that kind of like takes it, takes all the, the blame off of Alex and it just sort of wraps it up with a tiny little moral bow on it. And so they left that, that last chapter off when it first was released here in the States. And so when Kubrick was filming, he had the American book and he said that he remembered the, as he called it, extra chapter that uh, that Anthony Burgess had, that he had that extra chapter, as he called it, but he also did not like it. So they left it out wow. um, in this adaptation. And in America, that last chapter was not available until sometime in the 80s with a reprint um, where they put it back in. I think it might have been 86. I can't remember exact the exact time frame, but it wasn't until the 80s when uh, the American book had that final 21st chapter in it. I remember reading this as a kid. Okay. So I remember seeing this movie, the box in a movie in like a blockbuster or whatever, and being so like curious about it. But my parents say, Oh no, you can't watch that. That is full of horrible things. It's very horrible. You cannot watch it. But my parents, as I've said on the podcast before, never really policed what I read. And it was so easy to go buy stuff. And when I found out that it was a book, I was like, Ooh, I'm going to go buy this book and I'm going to read it. And so I did. And I remember 
opening up the book for the first time and getting to the, the very first paragraph, which is a whole lot to deal with at the beginning, because he says, there was me, that is Alex, and my three droogs. And I'm like, droogs? What are we talking about? I'm, I was like, I think 12 or 13 at the time when I was reading this. And I'm like, I don't understand anything that these are saying. He's like talking about the Corova Milk Bar and Milk Plus and Mesto and like all of these things. And I'm like, what the fuck is what am I reading? And I remember thinking being so confused about it. But like, I'm I know that this book is something I shouldn't be reading. So I'm going to keep reading it. And I remember getting through this book and being like, I don't think it really quite registered with me what was going on in it. But I just remember thinking this is very weird. And the cover of the book was like a face of a black and white mouth open up screaming. And then there's like flames coming out the top of it. Oh, and I just remember being like, so enthralled by what was that was happening that I forced myself to read this book, even though I don't think I understood half of what was happening in it. And then it wasn't until much later that I finally saw, saw the movie when I was old enough to go rent movies on my own and not have, not be carded, you know, being underage. But so have you read the book? No, I haven't read it. No. I just have, that's the one that's on my shelf. I, uh, I don't know. I keep going back and watching the movie. Fair. It's a, it's a very interesting reading experience. I will say. <laughs> I like, yeah. I've never done well with like sci-fi that has the like linguistic, mm. uh, like, mm-hmm. like words. Like, okay. I know, you know, but I like, I don't know. I, I, this one is really good. Like the, the, words that are invented really feel natural in a way that like Mm -hmm. maybe like a Philip K. Dick story doesn't necessarily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, I mean, Philip K. Dick is great, but that's not the thing that I, you know, it's like, but these feel like real weird words that also are like, have the like onomatopoeia or something that, you know, it's really cool. You can sort of like understand what is being said by, based on the context alone. Like you might not have, ever heard the word droog but the moment it's used like these are my droogs you're like oh he means friends or something like that you know like or his like gang or something so there's definitely like it it feels almost like uncanny valley in a way Mm -hmm. because like you feel like these words should make sense but they don't but then you can with context clues sort of pick up what is being what is being said and so it it is a very weird experience reading this book i remember picking it up and reading it and being like did i pick up like a weird copy of this book and i yeah. it was a point where i could i was a teenager and i could i googled it and it was like no this is just written purposefully obtusely and i was like fuck yeah See, I all didn't right have cool that. i know i was I, just, I was like did i def did, did i fuck something up <laughs> Yeah, I was early 90s and I had no way to like compare it. No, no Google, no nothing. I'm just like, I have this book. I have no context for this book. I have no way of getting context for this book. So so the, the book is more like immersive is kind of what you're saying. Like you just have to like listen to the narrator. Yeah. So like, mm-hmm. so it's like you're in, you're you're in his head. Like you are just reading mm-hmm. his words and reading his first person perspective. So like with the movie, you can, you know, you, you have him narrating it but you still see kind of everything going on outside of him but in the book you are just so kind of situated in his head it's just wow. it's like a much different experience for me from reading mm-hmm. it to seeing it because I, wa- I read and watched them in pretty rapid succession so it was really interesting to feel like the movie feels again distant you don't feel as kind of like immersed in Alex's head and understand maybe understanding him better as a character and like his fucked up 15 year old uh, motivations that we all know are bad, but like you kind of sit with him more and it's, 
again, it's it's all about it's obviously about violence, but I feel like in the movie, especially, it's known so much for the ultra like ultra violence, and it's like almost a spectacle of violence. And in the book, from what I remember when I read it, it didn't feel as much like a spectacle as much as like just a part of life. And so that, like oh. that's really interesting. That was interesting to me. I could be misremembering completely. I just remember like rewatching it. Like I don't remember feeling like it was that violent when I was reading it. But maybe I just didn't understand what I was reading. <laughs> Do you guys have films that you think of when you think of like a first person like interior movie, like a sort of like this where it's like a narrator from like really close to their head? I feel like it's really hard. The art form makes it hard because you don't really like voiceover films aren't necessarily like huge hits for the most part. Right. I'm trying to think like I feel like there should be one on the tip of my tongue, but I'm just I'm drawing a blank now, of course. The one I think of most of the time is this movie frownland have you guys seen this no it's really cool it's not a it's not a horror movie but it's definitely scarring it's um it's really cool um i think it's on the criterion right now but yeah this this dude um what's his name ronnie right ronald bronstein so he made this movie it's like about i think he cast his cousin in it and then he like basically like just like we're really the cousin has like a nervous breakout breakdown throughout the entire film. Um, oh. oh, wow. Like, is, just, it a is it a movie, document? It's not, it's like a narrative film, okay. but, but it is sort of, you know, like it's like, we're oh, living. He's the character is like method acting it. Basically the actor is, at least oh, from what I can tell. So have you seen Krisha or Krisha? No, no. I, I want to watch that. That's, on That's a really good example of something. It doesn't have a lot of like, voiceover narration but you are very much squarely within her perspective and her headspace the whole time um and it's really fucking hard to watch because she's an alcoholic and it's about her like really kind of coming back home after years of being estranged from her family because of her addiction and it's her first thanksgiving like with her son and her family in like a decade and it's a lot and again like you're with her the whole time so it's really fascinating, like that that kind of interiority. I think is really cool how they create that, and also the director casted his family, at, and it's based on like Krisha's actual experience as an addict, and his aunt is the one who plays the main character. So it's like wow. again that weird, not yeah. not a documentary, but like is towing that weird line between like a kind of a kind of that form of storytelling it's really interesting yeah you saying that name just for some reason triggered in my head you are not alone the movie from this year is like oh my god um, yeah you're right you won't be alone you won't be alone alone. yeah the witch one like because you're stuck in in her perspective through the entire movie and it was one of those movies that by the end of it there's so much empathy in it that like the last line of the movie I just started crying mm-hmm. because like you're in her head this entire time and seeing the world through various perspectives of her perspective. And it's, it's so emotionally uh, gut wrenching that, yeah, that's, that's the movie that, that just like, it just popped in my head when you started talking about Krisha. And like the one I always think of is American beauty, but I'm sorry, that movie, it's very overrated movie in my head. So, <laughs> but I always think about oh. that one. Cause it's like, I feel like that's like the quintessential example. 18 year old Terry. Oh. Was obsessed with that film. I was obsessed that with was it like too his in high school. I was like obsessed That's with my it. Personality. And then you realized I haven't seen it in so long. Ugh. I haven't either. Ugh. I just I remember the, the bag play. in the wind thing, you know, with the <laughs> most beautiful thing I've end. ever seen. <laughs> and I remember being like that pretentious 
That is the most beautiful thing in the world. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought it was so cool. Like, I watched the Kevin Spacey movie with sex in it in high school. Like, I just, like, thought I was so cool. And I was like, I'm watching classics. <laughs> like, American Beauty is a classic of fucking American I mean, cinema. <laughs> I, I still quote to this day, whenever I'm trying to, like, psych myself up, I will sell this house to I do, I do. <laughs> I, I my do friends do and I in high school all season go say, fuck me, your majesty, but we are so off topic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh my god (laughs) (laughs) okay the milk bar we gotta talk about this milk bar and the use of 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 milk to like i don't know it it's it's such a like wholesome little moment in the film but like i think it kind of plays into it's it's there's like milk you think of milk you think of kids you think of like the commercials of like got milk or uh, and I realize those commercials came after this movie, but like in my head, I always associate like just the purity of milk and like being a kid. And so it's it's funny to me that we open up and they are drinking milk in a bar where there is like naked women statues. There's a statue that is giving them milk out of her breast. Like it's like it's such a a juxtaposition of like childhood innocence, which I think is appropriate, but then also like this idea of sex and and violence to a degree, all kind of toppled into this glass of fucking milk well, i mean they like, even look like milk because so, they're white they're all white it's so ridiculously freudian if we really want to like, get like super annoying yeah, yeah. and like psychoanalytical oh, yeah. it's just like <laughs> freud would walk in there and just like explode he'd be like what is happening because like i also feel like there's this like okay i and this could be crazy but like an innocence because like babies drink a lot of milk and mother's mm-hmm. milk and there's something that's like comforting and and it's white and it's pure and there's something about cow juice that and right. human juice sorry i'm sorry cow i was juice. with my brand new nephew and was just fascinated yeah. by the concept of birth breastfeeding and I, it's just really gross um anyway <laughs> it's just like the it's just got this like weird so like you have this pure baby associated thing and then you're putting drugs mm-hmm. in it and it's like this kind right. of weirdly evocative image especially no in plus. a bar <laughs> While someone is sitting at a bar full of naked women and, like, weird statues drinking a glass of milk full of drugs. Like, there's something weirdly evocative about that and feels, like, wrong. It feels wrong, but it also feels honest or something. Like, it's, like, I, you know? Like, I remember, like, going to parties, in, like, in high school or something. But, you know, you think you're a badass or you're running around doing bad stuff. But you, like, still live with your mom, you know? Like, you still are, like... You know, you're still at home. You you have like someone's like doing weed your out laundry. Of an apple, like in the yeah, woods. Right? Like you're doing. Like <laughs> yeah. you think you're such a badass, like smoking weed with your friends in the woods. But it's like you're smoking weed out of a can and like spilling bong water in your pants. Not speaking yeah, out of experience like, at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like might as well have a glass of milk with that. You know, uh, apple ditch weed. You know, it's like. <laughs> It, like, it, why it, not? It feels, yeah, it feels like it wouldn't be uh, uh, crazy. Like, you could go home after a, a, a night out and, you know, pour a, a tall, tall one, tall, cold glass of, of milk. Well, and again, like, at night, like, warm milk. Or, like, you in movies, you always see someone coming home and, like, just for something about drinking that refreshing ice-cold milk out of the carton in the fridge, uh-huh. which always cracks me up. But... Again, I think Kubrick is really play and Burgess is playing with that idea of milk and also how milk is kind of like, it's not a drink I associate with like getting wasted or like getting like, it's not something I associate with like 
debauchery and being like part of debauchery so that's also kind of like it feels weirdly transgressive that yeah makes i had a friend from iowa uh who would drink whiskey milk he would whiskey milk yeah he would pour like he would have straight whiskey and then pour milk on it (laughs) which i guess doesn't make it straight anymore but you know it's whiskey milk that's what he would call it and he would he might even still drink it to this day whiskey milk wow yeah. I mean, you know, they, they, they have the, what is it, the White the Russian, White which Russian. is like vodka and, yeah. and Kahlua and... My you know. husband really likes White Russians. It just seems weird to me. Like, okay, speaking <laughs> of milk, the very first, uh, the very first speaking time... Speaking of milk! <laughs> <laughs> no, this is like, talking about milk and alcohol, my very first party when I was in, uh, a freshman in, in college, it was the very first time that I had ever, like, drunken anything out of, like, a, except for maybe a stolen wine cooler from a friend's mom's fridge, you know, like, this is the first time I went out and I had all the different kinds of alcohol. And one of the last drinks we had was a Colorado Bulldog. I don't know if you guys know what a Colorado Bulldog is. No, I do not. Okay. It sounds, sounds I didn't either. Bad. It sounds real. It's not great. It is um, an ounce of vodka, coffee liqueur, milk, and cola, like Coke. Oh. And that I was dr- the I last would drink thing. That, but that sounds like Vomit City. <laughs> Yeah. It was the last thing I drank that <laughs> night, and it was the first thing to come up, and I have never been able to drink Kahlua since, and the thought of putting milk in anything near alcohol makes me want to vomit. Totally. <laughs> well, wow. I do think – so So right now, I think that milk is, like – it's weird. It, like, does represent sort of purity, and it also, like, mm-hmm. because of the internet and because of the way that we, like, joke and, like, we're post – post 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 ironic like i don't know there was a time where like milk was like sort of being like associated with like uh like a almost like a right wing thing you know like this is like a you know like the purest thing mm-hmm. um, yeah you know and, and it's like i don't know it, it's like transgressive in almost every single way and it's so strange because it's like it's also like life-giving i don't know it's it's um yeah and and uh, yeah that's that's where the the, the like it's only two percent from the worms you know like it's like sorry this isn't the purest stuff i can give you baby right now but you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i so one of the things that i guess i i was as i was re-watching this because again the first time i saw this movie was after at the book i was probably 18 i think and i remember just being like totally taken back by the, the the pure amount of like nudity in this movie and just sort of like the violence and stuff. And I guess I never really thought about what Kubrick was trying to do. And so watching this now as an adult where I was like, okay, I'm like halfway through this movie and I'm like, what is Kubrick's point in here? Because again, it's been 20 years maybe since I've seen this film. And I was like, what is he trying to get at? And it was the point where Alex is in jail, he's in prison and he is um, learning about religion and he loves reading the Bible And it's this idea of like how the Bible is full of the same stuff that he's been doing. There's, there's rape in it. There's murder. There's sexual, you know, transgressions. It's full of sex and violence. He loves these parts. And he talks about how he gets to the newer part where all of a sudden it's a little bit more sanitizing. He doesn't like that as much. And so I'm thinking about how, you know, his crimes and what he's doing is basically what we, what is literature back to even the Bible is full of, violence and sex and violence and sex 
And it's just playing out over and over again. And I was like, okay, so there's something interesting going on here. And then when we get to the end of the film, where it's like all of a sudden he himself is being used by both this, this, um, the left side idealized by the writer and also the totalitarian government, both of them want to use him and his violence to like further propagate their own sense of violence. And I'm just like, this whole thing is about how there's various shades of violence and which one is 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 morally correct because everyone is doing it. It just depends on how they're exercising that violence in a way. Mm-hmm. And it was so, yeah. but I was getting to the end of this and I was like, okay, I kind of see what you're doing here. Cause I was like, halfway through this movie, like, are you glorifying violence was my mind was in my mind, you know, as a 41 year old rewatching this movie is like, what are you trying to get out here? And then by the end of the movie going, uh, I, I see what you're doing. here. <laughs> so, I know we can talk about this movie for fucking ever, but do we want to wrap up now and give it a rating out of five? Or are there any, is there anything else we want to touch on before we wrap up? I can talk about um, production design for this for six years, so I'm not going to get into yeah. the talking about the production design. It's so pretty. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, I, I am curious, Alex. So after you watch this with your with your parents for the first time, yeah. was there any conversations that happened afterward? Like, how did this how did this get discussed or dissected after seeing this movie, or did it? <sighs> You know, I don't think it did. Like, that's the thing is like, I watched it and then there was nothing that immediately came from it. Like, I like, I, you know, like I, I basically went, went to bed, you know, like it was like, <laughs> had to move uh-huh. on with my life. And I didn't like, I wasn't like obsessed with it. I wasn't like, I it just definitely like affected me. And I like mm-hmm. tried and I just tried to put it away and then like continue on, you know, it wasn't like, um an obsession that, 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 that I, I got, but I do remember like, like all the nudity and stuff, like the way that it's presented in the movie is like kind of like passive, except for on the stage when that naked woman is like comes to him. But like mm-hmm. the rest of it is like people running around and like, like, you know, breasts are like flailing around everywhere. But like, it's not like, um, I don't know to me, it, it, th- those moments didn't like stick with me even as like a, you know, a kid, I wasn't mm-hmm. like, wow, I'm seeing a naked woman, except for when it was like, really supposed to be that moment, mm-hmm. which I find kind of, I don't know, kind of interesting. And I remember that. And I remember also the, the, the old man in the, in the wheelchair, like being so furiously angry, and then also like manipulative mm-hmm. of, of Alex, like sort of like lying to him to like get him uh, comfortable. And I remember that being actually like, in, really, really scary and creepy to me um but yeah no one there was no like no one sat me down to like make sure i got the right message out of it if that's what you're asking (laughs) i was just curious because you had said that your mom and was like should we be letting him watch this so i was was just curious if there was any like fallout from that because uh i mean this is a (laughs) wild movie to be watching with your parents honestly (laughs) yeah 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 like when the sex stuff happened i remember being like just like what the hell like i'm so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. like you know, like that, that was definitely uh, traumatizing. Um, I don't know if they talked, my parents talked afterwards, you know, like, I'm pretty sure we just watched another movie the next day, the Hollywood video. Yeah. We love that place. Oh yeah. I, I just always think about like, I was so uncomfortable watching any kind of sex or nudity around my parents, because as I've mentioned on the, on the podcast before, they, I was allowed to watch radar stuff as long as I covered my eyes during the nudity part. So for me, like anything that was like sex or nudity was like shameful in a way. So like I couldn't imagine yeah. seeing this with my parents because I remember one time I was, when did, uh, gosh, when did it come out? Um, 
Jerry Maguire. When did that come out? That came out in 1996. I would have been 15, 16 maybe when it came out on VHS. I remember my parents had rented that. I was like, oh, I've heard that movie's good. And so they were watching it downstairs, and I was heading downstairs to go watch it with them. And it was at this part where Tom Cruise is having sex with his, I think, wife. I, I've never actually seen this movie because I'm so traumatized. I think it was his wife. And he, all she's saying is, never stop fucking me. <laughs> and I remember turning around on the stairs and walking right back up the stairs. It was like, nope. <laughs> So the idea of sitting there watching Clockwork Orange's yeah. appearances is like a wild thought to me. Yeah, I think that was like the other added layer of it. You know, like there's all the stuff that's happening on screen, but I'm also like sort of like coming of age mm-hmm. and also with my parents. And, you know, like, yeah, you know, it's just like all of the different things are happening to me, um, you know, and then and then uh, putting it away into my subconscious, uh, you know. Yeah. To, yeah, to deal with later, I guess. I'll unpack that when I'm older. <laughs> uh, okay, so now do we want to wrap up and give a Clockwork Orange R rating out of five? Sounds good to me. All right, Terry, how many glasses of milk out of five do you give a Clockwork Orange? You know, it's it's funny. I have a weird relationship with Kubrick because I don't like The Shining. I really enjoy 2001 and this movie is sort of in the middle for me. Like, I think that, I don't know. I'm, I'm watching this and it, watching it now, it feels a little, I don't know what the word is underdone compared to some of like the, 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 the themes that he explores and like some of his, in my opinion, a little bit better works. But I do think that this movie is very culturally significant and very interesting uh, it's just, it's not my cup of milk, shall we say? Um, <laughs> Sorry. Which I don't even like milk, so I don't even know why I would say it's my cup of milk or not. But uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think it's a really well done movie. It just, it doesn't ever really sit with me in the way that like 2001 does, but I still can appreciate it. So I'm, I'm I, even still, I think just because of its culture, I'm going to give it a four, four glasses of milk out of five, but still not my favorite of Kubrick's. What about you, Mary Beth? I have to give this, uh, I'm giving it four m- milks, milks out of <laughs> glasses of milk out of five. Milk, milk. four milks. <laughs> I, I have so much <sighs> appreciation for this movie. And I think this is one of the entry points for me into like the extreme kind of transgressive horror that I really love to watch and really love mm. to, you know, engage with and think about. And I think this was a really big part in me moving into that kind of like, this is like kickstarted when I would watch like Martyrs and Human Centipede. And I know these are very, very different movies. But again, like I was, I was a huge reader. And I think this movie really opened up a lot the book and the movie together opened up a lot of possibilities for me in understanding violence through an artistic perspective, not just out of like a violence is bad perspective. And mm-hmm. it's hard, it's difficult. It's not difficult, but it's very different watching it now, but I still really appreciate the perspective it kind of gave me and helped me grow in as a, both a writer, mm-hmm. a critic, like a film viewer and all of that. So I, and I also think it's just fucking beautiful to look at. Like, it's beautiful and disgusting, like, which is my favorite shit. So I give it four. And Alex, what about you? You have the final word. How many glasses of milk out of five do you give a clockwork orange? Well, I guess I, I just have to give it – I'm going to have to give it five, but I'm going to call them strawberry milks because yeah. I think they're, um, you know, they're like spe- specific tastes type of thing. And I I I really like it. I think it's like – 
also watching rewatching it before coming on the podcast just like seeing just the level of craft like i was talking about earlier mm-hmm. you know like obviously it's it's q rick so like but just how sim- simple like some of the setups and the blocking and the, all this stuff like the choices were very very deliberate and very uh careful and then also just being able to take a narrative like this that's like transgressive and gnarly and has sex and violence all over the place, but then also like make it a larger commentary without also like driving home, like any sort of like concrete thesis statement throughout Mm. the whole thing. And I don't know, I think it's like very complicated and I don't think we have a lot of movies right now that are complicated. Um, And then also like complicated and being like smart as hell is a, a a whole nother thing. So I, I don't know. I just have to have to just give it all of the milks that I can. So many milks. <laughs> so much milk. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much, Alex, for coming on the show and talking about uh, A Clockwork Orange. Where can our listeners find you? And what do you have that you can talk about or share? The floor is yours to plug. Sure. Well, please, please watch All Jacked Up and Full of Worms. It is on the internet. You can find it on, on Screenbox, the app. Um, it will be on Fandor in February. And then also, if you don't have those apps, you can find it on iTunes or Amazon um, to rent. And um, yeah, please watch it. It's, it's, it's gnarly and fucked up um, and fun. So yeah. And then um, yeah, I'm going to go into another movie in the next year or two uh, called Anything That Moves, Ooh. which will also be gnarly and fucked up and fun. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's my favorite kind of thing. Um, Anyway, (laughs) listeners, you have heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with A Clockwork Orange? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at McAndrews. And I'm McGailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at scarredpodcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe, and sign up for our Patreon to help support us. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. 
That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>